We're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 1. But what Jake read for you on in uh, Romans and Galatians, we're actually going to look at both of those passages as well. And finally, just to make matters even more complex, um, in your handout that you got here, uh, hopefully when you came in, if you didn't get one, we could get you one. Uh, there's going to be some verses there that we're going to follow as well. So... Um, With that in mind, that's where we're going. So we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us now, we pray. Help us as we open up what is perhaps one of the most wonderful doctrines of your entire Bible, the purpose of so much of what you've done. And we pray, Father, for supernatural help. In and of ourselves, we will only be able to grasp so very little of this. But if your spirit comes and teaches us and speaks to the heart and helps us and expands our minds and our thoughts and our hearts, Father, we will, we will grasp something of the greatness and glory and grandeur of what we're about to study. So please help us, we pray. Please help us as our Abba Father. Please give us grace and strength, we pray. We turn to you and we ask you, O good Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Bless and be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This is a great day to be in church today. Uh, It's a beautiful day outside, too, but this is a great day to be in church. And uh, it's a great day to be here today uh, for you and I. And that's because today we are going to study what is one of the most wonderful, wonderful doctrines of Scripture Uh, And some say even the greatest expression of God's love and the greatest expression of privilege that we have. And so if you did not walk in here this morning feeling loved and appreciated and privileged and blessed, hopefully by the time you walk out of here, you will. And that's why we're going to study this morning the doctrine of adoption. What does it mean that we have been adopted into the family of God? And you'll see this in the passage that we're going to look at today. Now, we're going to focus ourselves today on... um, Excuse me, I'm struggling with my voice here. We're going to focus today on verse, uh, the end of verse 4, but specifically on verse 5. So if you look at that with me. I actually have to begin by correcting the New King James Bible here, and it's only moving a comma. 
Um, so at the end of verse 4, you'll notice that it says uh, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And then you have this phrase, in love. Now, some of your Bibles, then, they, they attach that in love to verse 5. And that, I think, is absolutely appropriate. Some of your Bibles will reflect that. The New King James doesn't. And if I were doing this, and I, I, I did do it to mine, um, I'm going to move the comma to after him. And so that it says, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. And so we're going to, and that's what we're going to look at. So, so this passage is talking about the fact that in love, God has predestined. That word means to, to set parameters or to set and make determinations beforehand. God has determined, determined beforehand, and obviously that's before the foundation of the world. That's what verse 4 is about. He has de- predestined us to adoption, and that's what we're going to look at today. Now notice the text, to adoption as sons. And then he says this, by or through Jesus Christ. And then look at that little phrase there next, to himself, to himself. And I, I'm going to try to come back to that. That's, that's actually kind of a powerful little phrase that's stuck in there. <clears throat> According to the good pleasure of his will, it pleased God. God decided that this was a good thing. This is what God determined was a good and right thing to do. So that's the, that's the verse, and that's the context. In love. God predestined us to adoption as sons. He did this through the rescue of Jesus that happened through Jesus Christ. He did this to himself. To himself. He adopted us to himself. And he did this according to the, to the great wise and good pleasure of his will. He consulted his will, his will alone. This seemed good to him. So let's consider this concept of adoption. What is this concept of adoption? Now, most people recognize that Paul is, by the way, Paul is the only one who uses the phrase adoption in the entire Bible in this manner. Uh, the other uh, gospel writers and the other uh, epistle writers don't use it, but Paul does. And most people think that this comes from the fact that Paul is reflecting on Roman law, Roman law, as opposed to Hebrew lifestyle. Hebrew lifestyle is much more family-oriented, much more tribe-oriented, and adoption was not that big, that, that, you know, if a child was in need, he was just absorbed into the family. Uh, in Rome, though, Rome, a very cosmopolitan and, and, and big, uh, big empire, as it were, one of the greatest empires of the world, in Rome, they had the adoption laws. And this is what the focus of adoption here, as Paul is using it, is this idea of something legal, something so in that aspect of it. And so when we think of adoption, we think of that as, as a legal term. The word actually means, that's being used here, is to place as son. To place as son. It's the word, it's the Greek word, wea theos, and wea theos. Wea is the word, huios is the word son in Greek, and theos is to place something, to appoint something, to, to establish something. And so it means to be established as a son. And the force of the word, as Paul is using it here, has all this legal connotation to it in a good sense. In other words, it confers upon somebody certain legal inalienable rights that cannot be taken away from him once it's established. So in Rome, when you were adopted as a son, you were placed as a son, you immediately then had conferred upon you all kinds of legal rights of sonship, all right? In other words, you had the family name. It was placed upon you, and that was your name. And you were now a part of that family name. 
all of the property that was associated with that family was associated with you, for you had been adopted. Uh, you had the status that came from being adopted into that family. You had an inheritance that was legally yours that was coming to you because you had been placed as a son in that family. And so that's the idea. These were all legal rights that were conferred upon you in Roman law. They cannot be taken away. They are now yours because you have been adopted. Now, we immediately can see, as you think about that, we immediately can see, here's God adopting us as sons. You can immediately see that this is huge. This is, this is amazing. This is astronomical, and we're going to get to that. But you know what makes this amazing and huge and astronomical in one sense that we need to focus on right now kind of immediately? And that is who we were right before God adopted us, as it were. Look in chapter 2 and look at verse 2 and look at the end of verse 2. Notice what it says there. We are described in verse 2 in, as the sons of disobedience. And then look at the end of verse 3. We are described as people who were by nature children of wrath. Now keep this in mind that these people who are sons of disobedience and children of wrath are now legally, as it were, brought into an, a relationship with God in which they are legally his sons and daughters, have his name, have his status, have his inheritance, have his property. That's what's being said here. And that's what's so rich about this concept of adoption. And yet there's also something unique and even further amazing about this. It's rich, this idea of adoption, but there's something unique here. There's something unique about the way God adopts that we can't even, we can't even compare. I agree with William Hendrickson in his, in his commentary on this verse where he said this, it is rather useless to look for human analogies for the adoption of which God, of which Paul speaks, surpasses anything that takes place on earth. God goes big here. This is God big stuff here. Because when God adopts us, the Bible teaches, God not only just gives us this legal status and brings us legally into his family, but God does even more than that that we can't do in human adoption. God gives us a new heart. God gives us the Holy Spirit. God's nature is placed within us. And we're going to look at this in a few minutes here. The spirit of adoption is placed within us. We're born anew from above. We're born of God. We're born of the spirit. The spirit of adoption comes in. The spirit of Jesus, his son, comes in. And so there's almost as if, in that sense, a natural aspect to this adoption as well. We can't do that in human adoption. We can't do that. We had a child born in our family, our extended family uh, today. In fact, I became a great-grandfather this week, believe it or not. But anyway, and, and what was said about that child was uh, by, by his family, uh, the, the non-Jossin side of the family, what they said was, man, that kid's a Jossin. That kid's a Jossin. I said, well, that's probably just because you see so many Jossin babies that they all start looking the same. But he said, no, that kid looks like a Jossin. And that's because there's Jossin DNA in that kid, Okay. But here, we're being adopted by God, but with, through the new birth, as it were, through the new birth, the very spirit of the living God giving us new life and giving us, causing us to be born again, is we're, we're more than adopted. There's something unique about this adoption that brings us into that. We're going to look at that. 
But then there's something absolutely amazing about this adoption. There's something rich, there's something unique, but now there's something astronomically amazing about this adoption. In fact, I believe that what I'm about to point out is going to be something that's going to amaze us forever. Forever and ever and ever. I believe that what we're going to point out right now, you are going to be absolutely blown away by 1,999,999,000 years from now. You're still going to be amazed. And that's this. And that's, that's why I made this point about in love. In love having predestined us. In love having chose us. One thing that people can say to, about it, to an adopted child, they can say to an adopted child, you're special because we chose you. If there were other natural biological children in the family, they could, they could say, we didn't have a chance to choose them. God just gave us them. But we chose you. We went, we saw you, we picked you out, we fell in love with you, and we chose you. And that is what is being nuanced here in this idea of adoption. That God chose us to be his sons before the foundation of the world in love. Think about that. Let that sink in. Go back in your mind now, billions of years ago, before the foundation of the world, before there was galaxies and stars and planets and everything. Go way back in time before that, before there's angels and, and, and all of the, the spiritual beings, before anything that was ever created was created. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that infinite mind of God, in that infinite mind that sees all things, plans all things, orders all things after the good pleasure of his will, in that infinite mind of God, he looks ahead. He looks ahead. He sees all of the fallen sons and daughters of men, the sons of disobedience, the children of wrath, the fallen race of Adam. And he looks in that mass of people and he sees you, and his heart in love goes out to you. And he says, that one will be a child of mine forever and ever and ever. That one will be in my family. He will be in my family and be my child. She will be in my family and be my child. You see, when you take on an adopted child to be in your family for the rest of your life, you're going to care for that child. You're going to provide for that child. You're going to love that child. You're going to direct that child. You're going to feed that child. You're going to uh, do. You're going to educate that child. You're going to. You're taking on a relationship for the rest of your life. And God looked upon you before the foundation of the world in and His heart in love looked upon you and said, "I'm going to make that." That one mine. I'm going to make that one mine. And then he started making all kinds of provision and plans for you. I'm going to send my son, my beloved son, I'm going to send my son into the world to die upon the cross to rescue this one and to give that, to take away all of their sins. I'm going to punish their sins upon my cross. This son of disobedience, this child of wrath, I'm going to take their sins and I'm going to lay it upon my beloved son, my only unique begotten son. I'm going to lay my sins upon them. I'm going to punish my, their sins upon the cross. And I'm going to then 
Come to them. I'm going to send my spirit to them. And I'm going to open their minds, open their heart, give them the new birth, cause them to come to me and follow me and believe in me. And then I'm going to prepare a place for them. And then I'm going to bring them home to be with myself. And then I'm going to one day redeem a new heavens and a new earth. And I'm going to give them a new body. And I'm going to place them in there. And you were chosen to be a part of that entire plan. Because before the foundation of the world, in love, God adopted you. God chose you to be a part of his family. Now, with that adoption, with that adoption into God's forever eternal family, think about that. How, how protective, in one sense, we are of family. How, how, how careful we are of, of, of family. How, how we, 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 we guard our family. We, we watch our family. Our family is, is, is separate. I always tell people, listen, I, 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 when I, whenever my friend, my friends are all old now, and whenever all my old friends say to me, "Hey, yeah, my uh, my daughter's getting married, or my son's getting married," first thing comes out of my mouth is, "You like the guy? You like the guy? Is he a good guy? Is he a good guy? Is she a good girl? Because you're about to bring him into your family, and one bad one brought into a family can cause a ton of trouble. So you better like the guy." <laughs> I kind of I kind of pressure him on that. And I'm, not, and I'm not pointing out anything in my family. I love my daughters-in-law, my sons-in-law. They've all been good. But in fact, that's one of the reasons. Rah! You know, I've been like that. But anyway, we're protective of our family. And, and, and here God brought you into the family. God made you part of the family. God made you part of his eternal, if you could put it this way, happiness and closeness and relationship forever. That's what Paul is saying here. That is the great privilege and great joy of being adopted into the family of God. Now let's examine some of the, the what, what, uh, what can be described as the liberties and privileges of, the, of, the, of, the, uh, of being adopted by God. I'm actually taking my terminology from this one beautiful paragraph in our, our, our Confession of Faith. Our Confession of Faith has a chapter on adoption, and it's just one paragraph, but it's such a rich and beautiful paragraph. And I'm borrowing a lot of the terminology from our forefathers. What does it mean? What are some of the privileges of being adopted by God? And here we're going to start looking through the scriptures and looking at our handout and everything. So go ahead and grab your handout. In fact, we'll begin there. One of the great privileges and liberties of being adopted by God is that we have the name. of We are named. We, and in a sense, you know, like an adopted child gets a name. We have been called children of God, to have the name of God, as it were, placed upon us. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 in your handout, it says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. What an amazing thing to be called a child of the living God. What a name, what a, what a dignity, what a status. It says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We are children of God, and God has given us this status 
this incredible status. And that's one of the great privileges. Turn with me to Romans 8 that uh, Jake read this morning. Romans chapter 8. Hopefully you kept your, uh, a marker there of some sort. But uh, actually at this point I'm going to flip one chapter over to Romans chapter 9. Remember when we were wrestling with this whole doctrine of predestination and God choosing and God electing? And remember we turned to Romans 9 and it talked about, uh, it. finally Paul says, if you look at verse 20, Paul says, Who are you, O man? Who are you, O man, to reply against God? God can do whatever he wants. He can, he can do with the potter, can do with the clay, whatever he wants to do. He can make one vessel this way, one vessel that way. That's verse 22. And then in verse um, 21, then in verse 22, he says, what if God wanted to make vessels of wrath? And then look at verse 23. This is where we come in. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. There's Ephesians 1 right there. Even us whom God called, not only the Jews only, but also the Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, sons of disobedience, sons of wrath, children of wrath, and her beloved who was not beloved, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. That's our status, dear friends. That's the change of position. That's the change of who we are. We have been changed. We have been, think about this. Think about street urchins in the street, orphans running around the streets of London in the 1800s where we see, we see all of these movies that are made of uh, Oliver Twist and all that. All of these urchins running around in the street. And they're running around in the street, and dad's a drunk. They don't even know who dad is. They're not even sure who dad is. Or, he's, or, or they know him, but they've never really talked to him or seen him. He's a notorious drunken womanizer out there. And mom's a prostitute, and she's a drunk, and, and, and such like that. And, and here's this orphan just walking in, out on the street. And then imagine that orphan. Imagine that orphan being brought into one of the great and stately families of the time. Think of, if we think of American history, that, that street urchin, who's, who's he's embarrassed of his dad, he's embarrassed of his mom, he's embarrassed of their name, he only goes by his first name or by his nickname, is suddenly brought in and now he's a Roosevelt. And now he's a Rockefeller. Or go earlier in history, in American history, now he's a Washington. George Washington actually did adopt children. He's a Washington. That's what it means that you and I, that we have been brought into this incredible status of being the children of God. We have a new name. We have a new name. A second privilege is this. We have liberty of access. Liberty of access. You're in Romans chapter 8 or 9. Look at chapter 8. Look at chapter 8. Flip over to chapter 8. And look how the Bible speaks of this liberty of access to God, unique access to God. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. Now notice here, notice what changes. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer uh, burdened under that fear, cringing fear of God under his wrath, children of wrath, sons of disobedience. We're no longer that. We have been brought in and we have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Turn with me to Galatians now. The other passage that Jake read for us, Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul is talking about how we've gone from being minor children that it's almost like slaves because we've been put under guardians, tutors. We use the phrase wraparounds now. Uh, somebody is supposed to, and, that, and what he's referring to is that, is that th during that time we were put under, and here he's talking about the Old Testament uh, laws and legal prescriptions. He said we've been put under that to keep us in order, and that, that was like a tutor over us. He said, but, but then the father sets a time, in Roman law, the father set a time when you would come to your adulthood, and as soon as that happened, you went from being this kid that these tutors would whack you with a stick if you weren't studying and doing your Latin lessons properly. And then when you got to this point above that, then suddenly they were your servants and you were the master. That's what Paul's getting at in this text. But notice what he says. So that's what he gets to in verse 4. And he says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we may receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, there's your status, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And so this idea is, is that this, this change of position from being a, a, a child of, 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 of the, uh, a son of disobedient, a child of wrath, from being that to being brought in and adopted and being brought into the family, as it were, of God and becoming a child of God, that immediately, that change of position is to change your experience of God, too. It changes your experience of God. When you were, when you were sin and you were guilty of your sin and you, 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 did, you, were, you were always kind of worried about God and you, you were worried about death and you were, you were afraid of God and you, you thought you might go to hell and, and you knew God wasn't happy with you and you didn't want to talk about God because you were you were slave you were you were cringing but now you've been brought into the family and now the spirit of God lives within you and you've been adopted and you are his child and then he gives you he pours out the spirit of adoption in you and the spirit of adoption in you is a transformative change to being born again and that changes your relationship with God until all of a sudden you look upon him very differently he is now Abba Father He's Abba Father. What's Abba? Abba was the Hebrew word that a child would use, a little child would use, referring to their fathers. And it was a word of affection and a word of endearment. And many people today see that as possibly being translated in our English language, Daddy. Daddy. And Jesus was the first person who used that word in praying to God. He would say, Abba. And the first time Jesus did that, equivalent to Jesus saying, Daddy, Daddy. And Daddy is a term of endearment. It's a term of access. It's a term of closeness. My sons don't call me Daddy anymore. But my daughters do at times. They'll say, Daddy. They'll say, Daddy. And that's this idea of Abba. That's this idea of Abba. And you see what, what 
this is explaining here is the children's great liberty with God to come into his presence and to be assured of love and to be assured of a closeness and to be assured of, 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 of the relationship. If My daughters are adults now, for goodness sakes, and if they were to come into my room or come into my house and say, Mr. Jawson or Pastor Jawson, I'd be like, what's the matter with you? Like, what's going on? But they don't. They walk in and they'll say, Daddy, Daddy. And you see, that's what children have. Children have this liberty with their parents. They have this closeness, this, this, this assumption of love, assumption of acceptance, assumption of goodwill, assumption that, 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 that you're there. And that's, why, that's how a child can just, can just jump in, on a, in a lap without any invitation. Just jump in a lap. Yesterday, I was exhausted. I was tired. I had worked real hard on Friday. Dan and I were, were building the stalls in his barn. Saturday, I was de dealing with some wood and everything like that. And this, this old 66-year-old 60, body was finally sitting down in front of the fire. I had my laptop. I was doing a little bit of work. And little Myla came in. And little Myla came in. And little Danny boy came in. And little Myla went straight over. She grabbed Caps for Sale because it's one of our favorite books. She came walking over here, whacked my computer out of the way, climbed right up in my lap and said, Caps for Sale. Caps for Sale. And you know what she felt? She felt complete liberty to do that. And this is what's being explained here. Children jump in our laps. Children crawl into our beds with our cold feet. Children take our french fries from us. Children use our tools. Children jump in our cars and take off. Children empty our refrigerator. Children run up and hug us. Children run up. Literally, these grandchildren I have, they just run up and they just do this. They don't even say anything. They just do this. And that's the international language. You're supposed to pick me up and you're supposed to hug me right now. And I have no question that you're going to do this. And I know you're going to do this because you always do this and I want to do this. So they just do that. They just do that and they expect it. Children have that kind of liberty. They have that kind of liberty. And you see, dear friends, what this is saying is this. We are children of God. And we have this liberty of access to God. We can come to God. And yet you say, yes, but didn't you just preach two, two weeks ago on the holiness of God and the otherness of God and the separateness of God and the greatness of God and the majesty of God? And that's what makes all of this so amazing. We still have that kind of access. Think of the president of the United States. He's surrounded by Secret Service. He's surrounded by a chief of staff. He's surrounded by, the, hot, uh, by, the, by the, uh, the White House guards. He's surrounded. You can't even get near that place without getting permission to get through the barriers. And then there's a gate. You can't get through that without having some kind of pass or recognition. And then you come in and you go through all these kind of things. But that's, you, that, you don't do that if that's your Abba Father. When Teddy Roosevelt became president, he became president very suddenly like this uh, he, 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 because William McKinley was assassinated. Teddy Roosevelt was young. Teddy Roosevelt was actually on top of a mountain with his family in Maine, and they had to hike up there to tell him he was president of the United States now. And so Teddy comes down. Teddy moves into the White House, and Teddy has, I think, six children at that point. And Teddy Roosevelt's children were very well-disciplined, well-trained children. Teddy was an amazing dad. But Teddy was also an exuberant fun dad, and he felt kids should, kids should do stuff, try stuff, be daring, get hurt. He was, he was that kind of dad. And in the White House, when Teddy Roosevelt lived there, it was not unusual for a pony to ride through the White House. It was not unusual for sleds to come down the stairways. And it wasn't unusual for Teddy to be one of the guys on the sleds. 
The White House became this exuberant place where children just felt at home and welcome in the White House. And that's what we should see as we understand ourselves as the children of God. You see, dear friends, parents have this unique love for these children. Imagine if your children went off with a, with, say, say you have a son or a daughter, and they go off on a, on a, on a, a say, a vacation or a retreat or a, an outing or something like that or study abroad or whatever they do. And you haven't seen them for a while, and you're really missing them. And so you go to the airport terminal, and you're waiting for them to come, come and you're, you're waiting to see in Pittsburgh, the way it is is that people come down an escalator. You're not allowed up there, so they, they come down the escalator. And they come down one escalator over here or one escalator over here. And so you just stand there, and you wait, and then you see a crowd coming down there, and you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking and a crowd coming down there. And you know what? You can be looking, and you can see crowds and crowds of children. They can be cute little children. They can be fun little children, but you don't really care. Like, you're just like, and then all of a sudden, boom, there she is. Or boom, there he is. And your heart just goes out and you grab, ah, they're there, they're there. hey, over here, over here. This is the kind of access we have with the eternal and almighty God. Because we are his children. We are his children. We have this liberty and boldness. And we're even encouraged to come boldly into his presence. And that's what John is getting at here in John 3.1. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know it because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. We can add all kinds of other things. The confession of faith does this with some of the other privileges. One is that we're pitied. We're pitied. Look in your handout. Psalm 103, 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. We don't like that word pity today, pity party, quit pitying me. We don't like that word. But the word is actually a very rich word in the Hebrew. It means to have compassion, to have mercy, to have tenderness, to, to, to have that sense of a softness of heart toward our children. We have a softness of heart toward our children. And that's what he's saying. As a father has this softness and tender heart toward his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. We have God's protection. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. God feels protective of his children. God's concerned about the well-being of his children. If a mad dog or a bully or a crazy man were to come near our children, woe be to that guy if the dad's around. Woe be to him. And this is the way we, God is with us. He's protective of his children. And God provides for his children. Look at the, the next passage. It's actually not Luke 6. I made a mistake there. It's Luke 12. But nevertheless, it's the same passage. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all these things the nations of the world seek after. Look at, listen to Jesus. Your father, your Abba knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You will be taken care of. You will be provided for. Even God chastens us, the book of Hebrews says. God disciplines us. He brings trials or difficulties into our life to grow us up, to make us strong, to, to develop things in our lives, endurance and strength. But, but we're never cast off. We're always loved. God is a real, proactive, involved, protective, capable, rich, loving 
father who lavishes his love upon his children. He's the perfect, infinite, proactive, active, loving, gracious, compassionate, merciful, capable, strong, rich, glorious father who just pours and lavishes his love upon his children whom he's chosen before the foundation of the world. Can this get any better? Well, yeah, it can actually. Look in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. There's even more. There's even more. The Bible adds a nuance to adoption when Paul says this. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Romans 8, 23, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. Now, now the adoption is future. What is that? The redemption of our body. One day God is going to transform these bodies into glorious bodies like the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorious, brilliant bodies, eternal bodies. Bodies that are totally resistant to all disease, all pain, all suffering. All bodies that are, that are energized and powerful and great like the Lord Jesus' body. So that we will one day actually show forth in our physical bodies the glory of what it means to be the children of God. That's what this is saying here. But there's even more. There's even more. As adopted children, we will inherit. Look at 8.17. You're in chapter 8. Look at 8.17. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. A couple verses coming up in our study. It says this in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We will gain an inheritance. Let me ask you this today. Kids, listen to this. Kids, I'm going to ask you a question. You might not know these names, but Bill Gates is a real big rich guy. Elon Musk, real big rich guy, okay? They got so much money, they don't even know how much money they have. They, 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 just, they just have so much money. Now, imagine you were the only child of a Bill Gates or the only child of Elon Musk, and that means you were going to be the only heir of their billions and billions of dollars. You were going to inherit that. Imagine that. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you rather that than the inheritance that is going to come to all of the true children of God? And if you don't say it out loud, because if you're answering yes, that's really a wrong answer. And, uh, and it's, it's crazy. I'll tell you why it's crazy. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Even if you, even if you inherit a trillion dollars, which they, those guys don't have. They're getting close, but they don't have it. A trillion dollars is pathetic. It's pathetic compared to the inheritance that's going to come to the saints. Why? What's the inheritance that's going to come to the saints? Literally everything. Literally everything. God has brought everything, everything under the Lordship of Christ. Everything. And we are going to be joint heirs with Christ of everything. Again, don't turn to it, but listen. In Ephesians 1.10 it says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ Jesus, both that are in heaven and that are on the earth in him. Everything, the galaxies, the stars, the planets, 
everything that's out there, the earth, all of its oceans, all of its trees, all of its rivers, all of its plants, all of its wealth, all of its gold, all of its silver, all of its fun, all of its food, all that it is, everything, everybody, everything, 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 all of it is Christ. And that is going to be our inheritance. Look at your, look at your, uh, uh, your handout. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says this. Therefore, let no one boast in men. My dad's Bill Gates. My dad's Elon Musk. So what? My dad's Abba Father. Notice what he says. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. That's our inheritance, dear friends. We're going to inherit everything. The universe, eternal life, all of heaven, all of earth, all of it. A new heavens and new earth. An eternal life dwelling in the presence of God, being with our Abba Father face to face. In my Father's house there are many mansions, there are many dwelling places, and I go to prepare a place for you. What is it about this amazing, beautiful, wonderful God? That for him, stuff, even the things that he created, is not the source of his happiness. You know what's interesting? As I've gotten older, I love to fly fish. I love to be outdoors. I love riding my bike. I love exercise. I love doing all this stuff. I've loved it my whole life. I love being in my canoe. I love camping. I love climbing mountains. I love creation. I love trees. I love rivers. I love trout. I love all of it. I love the creation. But that's nothing compared to being with my kids, being with Jan, being with my church family. I value this more than anything else, these people. And see, it's so wild. God is like that. God the Father loves God the Son. God the Son delights in God the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, but three people relating and interrelating super social beings. God creating us in his image. God creating, and, and now God, his big plan before there was even a world was family. I, I don't even know how to, I, I, words are just, kill, I just, I'm dying right here because I don't have words to say it, but I'm feeling it. It's family. God before the foundation of the world predestined us to adoption. I want a family to be with me. God doesn't need us. There wasn't a need God was trying to fulfill in him. God is God. And yet God, in some mysterious but beautiful way, is relational. I want him to be with me. I want my family to be with me right now. I'm feeling very vulnerable right now, by the way. I have... I have five really special women in my life. Jan, obviously, Hannah, Becca, Grace, and Mary. And this week, Jan's going to Florida, Hannah's in New Zealand, Grace and Becca are in Northern Africa. And I'm like, whoo, God, please bring them back. Bring them back. Why? Because we... And God, I'm going to create a new heavens and new earth, which he could do without us. But you're going to be there. My family's going to be there. 
I'm going to dwell there with my family. These children that I have chosen before the foundation of the world and purchased. Purchased. Adoption could be expensive these days. Purchased with the blood of my son because I value them so much. My ultimate goal is to all be together as a family. One eternal family gathering. What an amazing God. And how privileged we are to be in that number. So let's apply this to ourselves. Are you a child of God? Have you been born again? Are you a Christian right now? Well then, that should mean right now, it should mean this. You should never feel unloved ever again. You should never feel insecure ever again. Even if people slight you, even if people exclude you, even if they say, I don't want to be your friend anymore, even if people talk you down, Paul said, uh, uh, David said, even if my, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. You should never feel insignificant again because you're a child of the living God. You should never feel unloved again because you're infinitely loved. You should never have identity issues anymore. Oh, who am I? Am I? I'm not strong. I'm not pretty. I'm not this. I'm not that. Who cares? You're a child of the living God. Who cares about that stuff? You should never worry again. Never be anxious again. Your heavenly father will feed you. Your heavenly father will take care of you. Now, of course, dear friends, we will have these struggles again. We will feel unloved. We will feel insignificant. We will have identity issues. We will worry again. But guess what, dear friends? We should be growing out of that. We should be taking these truths, these doctrines, the doctrine of adoption in God, and we should be applying that to our lives and seeing with clear and clear eyes of faith, seeing it clear, letting it work into our DNA until all of a sudden we feel, hey, here I am, this short, little, old, bald, gray guy. Who's deeply, deeply loved by God and a forever child of God. And that should be my source of joy, even as the outward body is decaying. Dear friends, take these truths, apply them to you. Might as well enjoy it. It's true. I would also say this live out who you are. Don't trade your birthright for a mess of porridge like Esau did. Don't pursue the world. Look at our last handout uh, statement. This is the passage we ended the, uh, with last week. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We're the children of the living God. We ought to live like it. Finally, I'd like to say this in closing. Is there any of you here who are not Christians? You are not a Christian. You're not, you're not interested in becoming a Christian. You're not interested in, 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 in turning to God. I want to tell you, I want you to understand this. By you holding off Christianity and by you not becoming a Christian and by you not committing yourself to Christ, you are walking away from a privilege, a massive privilege. You are walking away from adoption. 
Think of, this, this, think of it this way. I, wanna, I want you to think of yourself like this. I want you to think of yourself as a poor street orphan. You're standing there. Your feet are cold because you have bare feet. You don't have shoes. Your, your, your pants are all ratted and hold and rotting. You have an oversized coat on that you got out of the junk. You sleep in a box down in that alleyway there. There's some soiled old rags that you got out of a dumpster that you cover yourself with. You eat out of dumpsters or you eat, you eat what you can find or, or what you can steal. And here you are standing before a mansion, a glorious mansion. And there's a person standing there who's inviting you to come into this mansion. A person there who's offering to adopt you. A person who's offering to give you all fresh new clothes and give you a name and give you an identity and give you the mansion. The gate is wide open. The gate is wide open. Come. And you're saying, no. I'm going back to the alley. I'm going back to starvation. I'm going back to cold. I'm going back to danger. I'm going back to being alone. I'm going back to being an orphan. Unbeliever, you are an orphan right now. God is not your father. You are an orphan right now. And you saying, well, I'm just too good for Christianity. I'm not coming to Christianity. No, no, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to stay an orphan. I'm going to stay an orphan. And here's the sad thing. You're going to die an orphan. You're going to go to hell as an orphan. And you're going to lose any opportunity to become a child of the living God. But today is the day of salvation. And God's heart and God's wide open. And God is saying, come. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. All of you who are orphans. All of you who are living in the slime of this world. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you everlasting life. Come to me and I will save you. Come to me and I will make you the children of the living God. Come to me. I've come to rescue the sons of disobedience. I've come to rescue them and make them the children of God. Come, come, come. The invitation is open. Oh, please don't, don't turn away this offer while the day of salvation is at hand. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, help us to understand what just happened here. That you offered us eternal life. For those of us here who do not know you, maybe it's a young child, maybe it's a teenager, maybe it's an older person who's been holding you off, putting you off, holding you at arm's length. Oh, I pray, I pray that you will give them grace and help. I pray that you will effectually open their eyes and ears. I pray that you'll hear their cry if they're calling out to you right now and saying, oh God, I do, I want in, I want in. I trust your son, I trust you, I believe in you. Oh Father, I pray, please save them. And Father, for those of us who have been saved, who are your children, but who keep living like orphans, keep worrying, keep being anxious, Keep looking at the world for approval so they'll like us. Oh, Father, please help us to understand that before the foundation of the world, you set your love upon us and you have made us your children. And now we are your children. It doesn't look like it to the world. 
now we are your children, and one day it will look like it. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are our Abba Father. Thank you that we can run into your arms any minute, any day, with any fear, any anxiety. Thank you. Thank you. You are our Abba. We praise you and worship you in your precious name. Amen.